Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I have a friend who grew up in Chula Vista, California. Die-hard San Diego Chargers fan back in the day. And I know in college that my buddy, who was from Chula Vista, idolized one Lee Hacksaw Hamilton. Sportscaster, radio show host, based in San Diego, California. Hacksaw and Hayworth, I think it aired Monday through Friday morning time on San Diego's Sports Leader. Hacksaw Hamilton. He's been on Sirius XM, called play-by-play for the NFL, afternoon drive in uh, San Diego on KLSD, Clear Channel, 17 years at Extra Sports 690. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to the NFL, Southern California. I called up Hacksaw yesterday. I was thinking about Jim Harbaugh, and I happened to be in the airport. Yes, I did. I was traveling, as you know, back from Houston in the national championship game, and I was thinking, you know, who would have their finger on the pulse of what's right for the Chargers? And Justin Herbert. Crying out loud, Justin Herbert in college? Three different head coaches. Mark Helfrich, Willie Taggart, Mario Cristobal. It's gone to the NFL. It's been the same, pretty much. For Justin Herbert, a lot of chaos in his life. Here's Lee Hawksaw Hamilton joining us from lovely San Diego. How are you, my friend? Hey, John. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, yeah, I've got my finger on the pulse of things. You know, I was a longtime voice of the Chargers on radio and then went to Seattle in that big story in the Pacific Northwest within the last hour or so, too. So, I mean, it is just absolute, utter chaos what we're trying to pay attention and cover uh, you know, you in Sports Talk Radio, me on TV, plus my website, plus my podcast. It's just absolutely stunning what has transpired in just the last three days since Black Monday, and it's it's only Wednesday this week. So, yeah, you want to start with the Chargers? You ask the questions. I'll give you answers and opinions. Let's start there. What you know the the end of an era, I guess. Uh, you know, in in San or in San Diego with the Chargers, I'm never going to stop thinking of them as San Diego's team. But an end of the era, nonetheless. Justin Herbert, as I mentioned, he's had nothing but chaos. What kind of coach should the Chargers be looking for, Lee? Organizationally, they have failed that quarterback. He is such a cool guy. He's so intellectual. He's got just unbelievable courage and they have not done a good job putting people around him. There's so many layers to the problems with the Chargers in Los Angeles right now that it would take a half hour to define them all, but I'll just hit some bullet points. Um, they, they've been ravaged by injuries three straight years. Uh, I felt bad for Brandon Staley. I liked the general manager, Tom Telesco. They worked really hard to put a ton of athletes on the field, that roster, and they couldn't keep them on the field Every time Herbert comes to a line of scrimmage, somebody else is wearing a different name tag because so many of the starters have been hurt. That's a huge issue. That's item one. Item two, John, they have a massive salary cap problem. Uh, they're purported to be 40 to $60 million over the cap next year. Uh, 
this was supposed to be the year they had to make a statement and all the building would be completed and maybe be a playoff team and even some people thought maybe it was good to be a Super Bowl team. They didn't even make the playoffs, the injuries. Now they now they got to deal with the cap and they're going to have to chop people. And that that could be Keenan Allen, their legendary wide receiver, it could be Mike Williams, the go-to big play guy, it could be Joey Bosa who just can't stay healthy. So they got a massive cap problem. And then obviously you've got you got the issue are you blowing up the staff? Kellen Moore came as the coordinator to try to fix everything that had been around uh, Justin Herbert, and they didn't they didn't succeed. Offensive line had a wretched season, could not run the football at all. Austin Eckler, he was angry coming to camp, never got a contract extension. He's a walk-free agent. He, he had negligible contributions all season long, and this is a guy who played really, really well. And then you got the defensive side of the football, where they've just got a bunch of young athletes and they've just never been successful getting a game plan that these guys could cope with. It's just not a very competitive team, Kalomak notwithstanding, having a superstar season. So Justin Herbert is the last man standing, and they have so many problems, John, around him. It's a huge question. Now, to get to your question, what type of coach? You know, the Spanos family, they call themselves the first family of football. Can you believe that? team that's been to the Super Bowl one time in 35 years of ownership. Uh, there's some, some, their record, I think, is 314 and 346 since the Spanos has owned the team. And they, and they have the gall to call themselves the first family of football. You know, this is, this is an ownership group that fired a Hall of Fame general manager, Bobby Beathard, fired a Hall of Fame coach, Don Coriel, fired their Super Bowl coach, Bobby Ross, fired Marty Schottenheimer after he went 14-2. and two. So you trust Team Spanos to hire the right guy, big issue. I think I, I think that most intriguing thing is, boy, there's a lot of hot names out there. But these guys want the authority to make player personnel decisions. Harbaugh's not coming to the Chargers to be a head coach. He wants everything to go through his office. And who's the president of football operations who's been the head of this mess? His last name is Spanos. His first name is John. You think father's going to fire son? That's a big issue. Uh, I think Harbaugh can pick and choose anywhere he wants to go. Now suddenly with Pete Carroll exiting Seattle, holy cow. If I were king, I'd be talking to him. Now granted, he comes from the defensive side of the football. There are so many quality guys out there that you can access. And we have not even mentioned Belichick as to whether or not he stays in New England or he goes somewhere else, and then obviously all the hot coordinators. I think the most unique aspect of this conversation, when you talk about coordinators, are you willing to gamble again on a guy that's a coordinator who's never proven he could be a head coach? You know, the last three coaches they hired here were coordinators who had great track records and failed miserably, from Brandon Staley to Anthony Lynn to Mike McCoy. Are you going to go... Go back in that area. You're going to go get Johnson in Detroit. You're going to go get Frank Smith in Miami. Uh, and then, then there's the veteran guys. What's the difference between a guy given a second chance, a.k.a. Dan Quinn, uh, or Jim Schwartz, who have just a world of intelligence at what they do? What's the difference between a guy given a second chance versus a guy that some people would view as, oh, you just hired a retread? So, 
there, there are so many layers to this story, and I've written columns about it, and if you examine it, you'll probably write a column with an opinion, too. This poor quarterback has just had no help at all to become a star, and it, it's stunning, John. His record is 30-32 and 32 as a starter in the NFL without a playoff victory. That's shocking. But he's young, making big money. They just they got to get the right guy, and they got to get the right group of players around them and keep those players healthy. And none of that has happened since Justin Herbert fell to them in the draft years ago. It's interestingly, and you know this, you've covered the league for a long time, and it seems to be in sports you see the same teams over and over struggling, and it points to ownership often. You mentioned the complication of a owner and a son who is – the uh, you know the effective de facto general manager. Um, how big of a concern is that? In and is that a big is ownership a problem with the Chargers? Hell yes. Of course, you're asking somebody biased. Voice of the team for 13 years. Love this community. You know they turned their back on 55 years of loyalty and went to Los Angeles. Where by the way, John, they're irrelevant. When anybody thinks L.A., first thought Lakers. Second thought the current employer of Otani the Dodgers. Nobody's thinking Charger football. Uh, the Rams own that market, having been to the Super Bowl and seen Sean McVay now reinvent himself in the franchise with with the win season, 10 win season they had this year. They're irrelevant up there. Uh, you go to a Charger home game and you'll see so much color of the opponent's fans. I mean, we've had games that look like a Raider home game. Steelers came in here. It was a sea of black and gold. Uh, 49ers, red everywhere in the stadium. Charger colors, by the way, are powder blue. I mean, so it's, it's absolutely stunning uh, what has happened. And I don't – you've dealt with a lot of great owners in the Northwest, and you've probably dealt with some bad owners. I don't know what it must be like to be a member of the Spanos regime, Spanos family, because they're so disliked. They're disliked to the point that the owner – stands in the shadows in the owner's box, never part of the community, never speaks to the media. And his son went three years without talking to the media until they just cleaned house with the general manager, Telesco, and, and the head coach, Brandon Staley. First time in three years that John Spanos has talked, and he said a lot and he didn't say anything. If I had been at that press briefing, I think the final question would have been, John, you've overseen this now. You hired all these coaches. You hired that general manager whom you just fired. John, I know what your record is. Scoreboard does not lie. John, why do you still have a job? So that's that you're asking a biased person with opinions about this. But I feel bad for Justin Herbert at the end of the day because I think the organization has just failed him miserably. Can they fix it? Yeah, probably. Right guy. Very high draft pick. Very high second-round draft pick. But they got this massive salary cap problem, so it, it's not going to be easy to fix. And again, now we're now we're dealing with who's going to be the general manager, who's going to have the authority. I think it's got to be somebody outside the last name Spanos. But I don't know that they'll they'll give the guy coming in the front door the opportunity to be the decision maker on player personnel. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton with us from Southern California. Nick Saban, Alabama coach. Uh... Uh, as uh, re- retired, um, and uh, you know, is maybe not all that surprising given 
some of the comments he's made about the changing landscape, the sands shifting beneath his feet. Uh, you know, he's hearing more and more from disgruntled fans. NIL has leveled the playing field for some schools that are not in the SEC. Um, here's Saban, who was re- basically responding to a caller on his coach's radio show. Coach, how are you, sir? Well, Pee Wee, I've been wanting to talk to you all week, man. I mean, we got to firm up the pocket. <laughs> We're setting too soft. We're getting pushed back in the middle. All right, everybody thinks we can't hold up against the blitz, but they're sacking us with four-man rush, one three-man rush. Only one sack came off of a pressure, so I wanted to ask you what the hell's going on. <laughs> well, I believe you covered it all right there, Coach. All right, that guy hanging it up. Did it surprise you, Lee, that Nick Saban is saying I've had enough? Uh, a, yes, at this point in time. B, no, because I don't think he's any different than any other veteran coach, John, around the country. You know, we're based here in San Diego, San Diego State, Mountain West Conference. They've lost their top three veteran coaches at the end of this past fall. Brady Hoke removed San Diego State. Jeff Tedford steps aside Fresno. Craig Bull, who did an unbelievable job at Wyoming. Why did those veteran coaches walk away? Probably the same reason that uh, Saban has exited Tuscaloosa. They don't like the landscape of the business of college football right now. They detest the NIL. They dislike the transfer portal. It's just not the same game. And I think the veteran coaches have had a really tough time adjusting to it. And it's just not those three. You know, go across the state line. Yeah, you talk to Dabble Sweeney in Clemson. He dislikes what the game has become. So we're going through a changing of the guard of great veteran coaches stepping away because they don't want this this atmosphere to exist. And so the next guy coming in the door, it's going to be a very different method of operation. So, yeah, that was kind of a surprise. But he is 72 years of age, and there's not a hell of a lot less left for him to accomplish. But uh, it, it's a different game. Than, than it was for him at Alabama and at Michigan State and way back at Toledo. I'm looking around sports, and you and your history, you've seen Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, college sports, of course, and you know we're watching realignment affect college athletics and you know a lot of changes there. Um, college sports always felt different to me, Lee, than the pros, and it's starting to feel less and less that way. Do you think college athletics can find a landing spot where it gets some stability, or is it veering too close to the sun, or what do you see? Money is driving everything to the detriment of the sport. You know, John, I know you have written extensively about the death of the Pac-12, and I've talked about it down here and written on my website extensively about it. Uh, And there's got to be a way to control it. And I do think it's going to be changed. I think the landscape is going to change within a calendar year because Charlie Baker, the, the new head of the NCAA, is negotiating with Kansas for the NCAA to get antitrust exemptions. And if they get that, like baseball, like football, they get that exemption, they are going to then take control of the NIL, and they're going to reshape the transfer portal, and everything will be under their umbrella. Now, it's not going to happen next Monday, but I would bet a year from tonight, John, if we're talking, I think there'll be something very different about how college operates, college football, for example, operates. You know, I was I was sick that USC and UCLA in the middle of the night left to go to the Big Ten, and I was absolutely floored 
that then what happened with, with the ducks and what happened with the huskies and what happened with the corner schools and that the Pac-12 was gone. Uh, you know, part of it was incompetence in the leadership of the Pac-12 presidents. Part of it might have been the incompetence in the league office. You know, but we just came through a fabulous football season. I called it, you know, Pac-12 farewell tour. It was the year of the quarterback. And the conference was just amazing to watch Saturday to Saturday, as witnessed by who got into the postseason, the playoffs, and then, hey, who was in the championship game? The Huskies. But I think things are going to change within a year, but the damage has already been done. You know, John, when you had 111 quarterbacks in the transfer portal, Within the first week, you got to be kidding me. It's 2,300 players total in the transfer portal, and all these guys are getting money, and there's tampering. I mean, it's it's amazing. We got parents calling schools, offering my son the left tackle. What's the price tag? I'll deliver him. We had we had an NFL type offensive tackle disappear at San Diego State, wound up at Ohio State. Family offered the kid to the school. It's happening everywhere. So. They're going to, they've got to go back and restructure everything as it relates to college football. I'm, I'm upset about it. I'm sad about it. I'm kind of enraged because I've, I've become a West Coast guy. And I just I think there was such history and such legacy to the Pac-12, whether you were an Oregon State Beaver or whether you rooted for the USC Trojans or whomever. And now to see this thing washed away, it, I think it's just terribly, terribly sad. San Diego State was this closely to, to getting an invite to the Pac-12. Had the conference stayed together, San Diego State was coming in. I know they had their news release. You know, they were crafting it, and J.D. Wicker, the AD, was excited. The president was excited. Fans were excited. And then, nope, uh, more. And, and Oregon State and Washington State now playing a lot of What does San Diego State do? Where do they go from here, and where do they fit into that ecosystem? Well, I said a year from tonight, John, when we're doing the next phone interview, I think the NCAA will be operated very differently. I think two years from tonight, John, when you hook up with me again, I think Washington State, Oregon State get through these next two seasons by themselves, and then the TV contracts expire. I think there will be a Pac-2 offer to take the top six teams from the Mountain West because by that point in time, their TV contract will have expired, and there won't be any exit fees, and that that that's the big issue, is you can't these schools cannot afford to pay 18 million or a 34 million exit fee, so they can go to what would have been the Pac-12. I do think two years from tonight we'll be talking about a Pac-8, and I think it will encompass really good basketball program and maybe a football program that'll be on the rise at San Diego State, uh, the resurgence of Boise State, whatever Fresno State looks like. The, you know, they will take six out of this conference, and there will be a Pac-8, and then maybe they add two more and get it to ten. But I think two years from tonight, that's that's what's going to happen. All right. So in the short term, Chargers need to hire a coach. Lee, you've been around it. Do they get it right? Does Justin Herbert eventually get ownership that, that un, understands it, gets him a coach that lines up, and, and a puncher's chance to, to win, or... Do you think it's more of the same for Herbert in this era of Chargers football? Young man deserves to have a better situation around him. If you hire Harbaugh and you must give him the authority to change everything, then I think Justin Herbert has an opportunity to grow. If you hire, this is a reach, you hire Pete Carroll, that's a proven commodity. 
those are the guys that I would call. I understand Ben Johnson in Detroit, and I understand Frankie Smith in Miami, but you've already traveled that road. You've got, you've got proven commodities out there. I would love to see the Chargers make a run at one of those two guys. Yeah. My, my favorite comment down here in Southern California, I hope Justin Herbert goes 17-0 because I have such regard for him as a person and a player. And I hope Dean Spanos goes 0-17 for what he did at 55 years of loyalty in San Diego to Charger fans because nobody here will ever, ever forgive him, even though a bunch of people here root for that kid quarterback to do well. Now, when you were on Extra Sports 690 in San Diego, 50,000-watt signal, John Lynch's dad, John Lynch Sr., yes. uh, was running that station, wasn't he? Yes, John. John's from Chicago, and John wound up in San Diego, and John came and got me to be the, be the first part, first uh, cornerstone of what would become an iconic all-sports station, Extra 690, and be the voice of the Chargers. And, you know, I, I saw Johnny Jr. grow up as a fine player, as a quarterback, and as a safety, and we tracked his career from what he became at, in high school to what he became at Stanford to what he became at Tampa Bay to what he became in the Pro Football Hall of Fame and now what he's become not just as a broadcaster on Fox but what he's done in the executive suite with the 49ers. Spectacular, spectacular young man. So it's just it's fun to see one of your own who you've tracked since he was geez, 17 years old when I first got here and what he's evolved into. So, yeah, we did a lot of great things in Sports Talk Radio, and John Jr. has done a phenomenal job in San Francisco. Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, you're the best. We'll get you back on. Thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. Continue to do a great job up there, John. We'll chat with you again in Oregon. Thank you. There he is. Hacksaw. Stephen, uh, we're going to kick this around. I want calls as well. 503-417-7575. Pete Carroll to the Chargers. Does that fit for you? We'll unpack Dan Lanning and whether or not you should be worried as a Duck fan or maybe uh, rooting as an Oregon State fan. I've heard from some Oregon State fans today who say, hey, this would be great if Lanning left uh, Oregon for Alabama. But what do you make of what is going on today in sports? You had uh, Black Monday followed by uh, you know, a national championship game that night and then uh, a little exhale, and now... Uh, today, Pete Carroll out in in Seattle and Nick Saban apparently retiring in Tuscaloosa. What do you make of it? 503-417-7575. I guess the only thing that uh, is staying the same is that we've got uh, chaos in sports. You can always count on it to uh, create something to talk about. It's supposed to be a diversion, right? After all... Uh, the cycles in sports are faster than life cycles. You outlive, and you out uh, your fandom outlives and and uh, outlasts coaches and general managers and players. And so you got Tiger Woods and Nike splitting up. You've got uh, Pete Carroll out in Seattle after 14 seasons. You've got Nick Saban calling calling it good in Alabama. Uh, you've got um, you know a uh, a whole bunch of NFL coaches that are living in the now and, you know, probably won't be there in three or four years. And I think it's really interesting to kind of watch it all cycle through. And and here's the other thing. there There is a, you know, when I look at Alabama, Alabama has lived in an ecosystem and lived with inherent advantages for decades. Alabama's got advantages. 
playing in the SEC, being Alabama. Mike Leach, two years ago, had a conversation with Leach. I asked him, what's the biggest difference between what you see in the Pac-12 back in the day at Washington State and what you're seeing now at Mississippi State? And he said, you know, it's the defensive linemen. It's the tackles. He said, everybody's got five or six guys that are going to play in the NFL. And that's not the same as the Pac-12. Pac-12 doesn't have those guys. And that's a, that's a different thing. See, the geography of being in the South and being in the SEC footprint, highly populated footprint. Um, you know, you're, you're recruiting, recruiting Florida. You're recruiting Alabama. You're recruiting Louisiana. You're recruiting Texas. You've got, you know, a plethora of defensive tackles available to you. And then what, what the SEC schools like Alabama were doing is they were going out and they were finding the most talented skill position guys in the Pac-12 footprint or in the Pacific time zone and recruiting those guys. And Clemson was doing it too. And, and, and they were having success with that. Well, here comes name, image, likeness, and here comes the transfer portal. And the calculus has changed. Suddenly now there's some balance that's happening. And uh, and suddenly, you have you have uh, Alabama complaining. Nick Saban, I don't know if you noticed in the last two years, was complaining about the portal, was saying that the balance of college football is off, and he was sort of just indicating by waving his arms and talking that he knew that Alabama was losing its advantage slowly in some cases and not so slowly in others. And I kind of wonder when you look at what happened at Clemson in the last couple years and what, you know, Alabama is still really good, right, make the playoff. They're one of the top four teams in the country. But there seemed to be a little bit of wobbling happening at Alabama. And and it dovetails nicely with the piece I wrote this morning at johnconzano.com about, you know, the Pac-12 team's and the Pacific Time Zone teams playing for national championships getting boat raced, especially in the run game, at the point of attack, at the line of scrimmage, getting boat raced by Big Ten and SEC schools there, historically. Now, Chip Kelly, and I didn't put this in the piece, but I'll tell you it. You know, I'm talking to Chip Kelly about NIL, and UCLA has always sold what to recruits? Hey, come to L.A., be in Southern California, its sun is shining, you have an opportunity to be at UCLA for crying out loud, you can go to the beach and watch a football game on the same weekend. And, you know, they always sold that in recruiting, but here came name, image, likeness, and as Chip Kelly uh, told me this morning, quote, NIL defeats weather. It's about money. Players are going to follow it. And so you start now to think who has the most powerful collectives in the country and if you're buying stock buy stock in smu it the boulevard collective probably one of the top 10 collectives with buying power nationally they are going to emerge in the acc as a power in football you watch meanwhile oregon division street they have a top three collective so I do expect Dan Lanning's looking at that going, hey, I've got all the advantages, all the resources I need. His wife, Sophia, is happy because they're kids. It looks like they're going to be able to stay in school. He's got a pile of money, long-term contract. He's kind of got it going. And it's why I would tell Oregon fans today, I would be surprised if Dan Lanning were interested in moving on, particularly after what he said 
and what he said, uh, you know, to uh, at the bowl game, what he said after the uh, Texas A&M rumors started. You know, he's multiple times he's come out and said, I'm at Oregon and I'm staying at Oregon. And certainly Alabama, his name has surfaced already from people on social media who are throwing out names like Dabo Sweeney and Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer and Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian. And I would just, I got to tell you, I think that Lane Kiffin, would be the guy I would keep an eye on for Alabama. Because I think Sark is probably happy and embedded at Texas and knows that he's got an NIL collective there that can get him into the playoff. And or, and Dan Lanning's at Oregon going, I got a collective, I can participate in the playoff. Dabo Sweeney feels to me like he's in a tough, he's in a precarious position, even though Alabama might look at him. If I'm, out of, if I'm Alabama, I'm looking over what's happened in the last couple of years at Clemson, and I'm going, huh. Is it possible that this guy isn't able to work because he's lost the advantages that he had at Clemson once upon a time? Here's Nick Saban talking with Joel Klatt, uh, you know, earlier this season. Well, I think you have to create a balance between how much do you take and how much do you give. Okay. Um, you know, we're giving people scholarships. We're creating name, image, and likeness opportunities. But what is their commitment? I mean, there's no place in the world where you don't have a contract. Uh, if you're going to receive benefits, you have a contract and an obligation to do a certain job. So when you can opt out, transfer, do whatever you want, whenever you want, I'm not sure the balance is quite right. He's talking about the collective, NIL, the transfer portal. He is... Uh... Belly ached about the NCAA. I don't know what are the best guidelines right, for us to have to create the competitive balance. Um, and I don't know where it needs to come from. Um, I think if the NCAA is going to be able to implement their rules, they need some kind of protection from litigation. Um, because right now, I think they have a difficult time implementing rules because of lawsuits. There you go. You know, you can look all you want at that Alabama job and insert whoever you'd like. They're inheriting what Nick Saban is saying. And here's another thing, Stephen, I want to throw at you. Would you rather be the guy who replaces Nick Saban? Or maybe you avoid that and you go in and be the guy who replaces the guy who replaces Nick Saban? Yeah, I think uh, that's the better option to replace the guy who replaces Nick Saban because that's going to be a tough, tough follow, man. I mean, Nick Saban, you look at just his resume of what he's done, especially just at Alabama, and it's going to be hard to follow that uh, right away because there's going to be so many, so many expectations, especially coming off a year where you know Alabama maybe not their best team that they, you know not definitely not one of their best teams that they've had in the past years, and Saban got them to the playoffs. So there's a lot of expectations already that. If you know Saban could do this with this type of team, you need to do that as well. So if you're landing, it would be a tough spot. But at the same time, not many times does a job like Alabama come available or a job like Georgia become available. And if you're Dan Lane, I think you got to at least listen to it. I don't know if he's going to take it or not, but at the same time, like he has ties to the to the South. You know, the SEC is that conference that a lot of people want to be in. And I think if you're Dan Lanning, you just got to listen to it and hear it out and see what they have to say because. These jobs don't come available a lot, John. And you know, with all the advantages Oregon has, Alabama has a lot of the same advantages as well uh, down there in the South. So I, 
I'm with you. I think in an ideal world, yeah, you would want to be the guy who replaces Nick Saban uh, once he gets fired and there's a little less expectations. But these jobs don't become available that often. And, and I, I think if you're landing, it's okay to listen and it's okay to think about it. But, uh, you know, you're going to have to think long and hard about it. Yeah, I think you would. Uh, I think you have to give some pause there. Let's go to Roy in Portland. I think he's got a good feel for it. Big SEC fan, big Georgia fan. Roy, help us make sense of Nick Saban in Alabama. Well, first of all, I want to say congratulations to Nick Saban, man. He was a he was a tough he was a tough tough opponent, man. Uh, you know, and um, you know, uh, happy trails to you, Nick. But um, you know, it's I don't see Dan Lanning leaving. I don't, I don't see him leaving. You don't want if you are Dan Lanning, you don't want that Alabama job, man. I'm telling you, you don't want that job. You don't want to follow Nick Saban because those Alabama fans, man, they are vicious. And if you're not winning, oh my goodness, that's going to be the worst thing you ever seen. It, when when those fans aren't happy, and and it's not like Oregon fans. It's not like having a couple losing seasons or not, you know, having a season not beating your opponent in, in Oregon. If you don't win in Alabama, it, it, it's going to be miserable for you as as the head coach, and especially with the with what what Nick Saban has established. And if I'm Dan Lanning, I don't want that Alabama job anyway. Even if they all, if, if I'm not, I don't, I don't want to leave Oregon for Alabama. I don't, I don't want, I don't want that. I, I wouldn't want that job. I'm, I, you should be happy with Oregon. The man that they're going to get, I know a lot of the loves don't want it now. Some of them do. Is Lane Kiffin? He is perfect for the Alabama job. He's right there in Mississippi. He's in the same footprint. They called him the Portal King, John. He's number one in the transfer portal. He's all on social media all the time. He's resonating with the kids down there. They love they love Lane Kiffin down there, and the, those kids love him, and that's why he's number one in the portal. They they, they love him, and he he just go right over to, to Alabama from Mississippi. He's recruiting well down there. He's right he's right in the footprint. He's number two in the finish, number two in the SEC West. Behind the only team he lost to was who? Uh, I think Alabama was the only team Ole Miss lost to last year. So I don't see Dan Lanning. I don't think it's a fit at all. I don't know who's floating. Maybe his agent is floating his name out there, but I, I don't. I don't see that working for him. I don't see him leaving Oregon for Alabama. I, I just really don't. Appreciate that, Roy. I agree, and I'm kind of looking at Lanning's comments, listening to his comments, and thinking, "Gosh, is he going to have to come out every time a job opens and shoot it down?" I kind of thought the last time would have been enough, but I do think he's going to have to say something at some point as this Alabama job opens. Steven, if you're him, do you come out and do you say, you know, do you, you know, he d- does he give me a call and say, hey, John, I'm I'm not interested in Alabama. I'm happy at Oregon again. You know, does he have to say that again every time a job opens? Um, I think this job, yeah. If he's truly staying at Oregon. Um, I think it, it would be smart of him to come out and make a statement about it. But if he, you know, if he if he decides that he's just going to stay at Oregon and, and he doesn't want to do anything with Alabama, he doesn't say anything. I think there's going to be rumors upon rumors of him leaving. So I do think that this is the type of job where you know Alabama is maybe the best job in the nation. One of them definitely, uh, you know, very comparable with Oregon, probably a little ahead. That you would have to come out and say, yeah, I don't I don't want this job. Uh, I'm good at Oregon. I, can I argue why Lane Kiffin would not be a great coach in Alabama? I, I don't get this. I don't get it, John. I don't get why you guys are pushing Lane Kiffin. He's failed at every big job he's had. USC failed. Raiders failed. Tennessee failed. He wasn't good at any of those jobs 
Why is it going to change at Alabama? Because he's at Ole Miss where there's less expectations and he plays a really soft schedule. And then any big team they play, they lose. Like, I, I, don't, I just do not get this Lane Kiffin to Alabama thing. Um, I, I don't see why he would be a great coach at Alabama for any reason. I think he's failed at all these big-time spots he's had. I'd like to see what happens to the next guy who goes to Alabama. I would not want to be the next guy who goes to Alabama because you're in the shadow of a guy who won six national titles. That's the comparison for you. You know, if you repeat it and you win six national titles, what are people going to say? They're going to be like, well, it was Alabama. It wasn't him. I think if, uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian should probably stay at Texas. I do like Kiffin because he can recruit, Stephen. I think he can recruit. And I think if you're Alabama, you need somebody who can get in there in addition to your NIL power, in addition to the SEC thing, somebody who can get in there and recruit for you. You need to go find the best recruiter that you can possibly find. And I think the shame of this for the guy at Miami, Mario Cristobal, is that, is that he didn't have a great season and his coaching X's and O's is being challenged because I think Cristobal, if he had had some success at Miami, I think they'd be talking right now about him at Alabama. But again, I'll go back to the NIL buying power. You're talking about top five buying power at Miami. Not at Alabama. We'll see. 503-417-7575. Your phone calls. Punch it. Audio still coming up. The five. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.